Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another episode of Brainwaves on 8.55am Community Radio or streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Um, today we have Professor Owen Kalaki um, on the show, who is the Associate Director, Research and Head of Functional Recovery Research Program at Origin, National Centre of Excellence in Youth Mental Health. Uh, Owen is also a clinical psychologist uh, and is has conducted research um, primarily in helping young people with mental illness to recover well. This includes finding ways to help young people with their education and employment and improve their physical health. On today's show, we will, we will be discussing the role of technology, specifically virtual reality in the treatment of mental health. And with me interviewing today is Lauren. Thank you, Owen, for coming on the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Okay, so virtual reality is a new technology that many people won't have any idea how it actually works. Could you please explain to our listeners exactly what they would see, hear or feel if they were hooked up to a virtually virtual virtual reality system? Um, so mainly virtual reality works by putting uh, some goggles over your eyes uh, and whatever kind of environment's being created there, the first thing that you would really notice is the, the visual immersion in it. You would actually sort of uh, be able to look around it. And the thing is, as you move your head the scene moves as well. So you can look um, in really amazing virtual reality environments in, in all 360 degrees. So as you turn around, it's almost like you're turning your head um, in, in a real sort of situation. What you hear depends on if you're wearing earphones or not um, and whether that's been programmed into the environment as well. And for some of the more um, advanced things there are, there are some things that you can actually feel stuff so that there is some... Um, uh, sorts of virtual reality where you can put on gloves and um, and other things and you can actually sort of sense that as a motion against your skin. Wow. So what sort of vi um, virtual scenarios might be used to help people with depression? Well, one of the things about um, often when people are experiencing depression is that um, they can quite often have trouble telling somebody about what it feels like to to be experiencing that depression. So one of the scenarios we've created um, to sort of help people with that is uh, a situation where people, um, when they put on the goggles, they're in um, someone's room, a, a person who is acting in quite a, a sort of a, a way with low energy. So it looks like they're, they're kind of depressed. But the idea is because sometimes it's easy to talk about what another person might be feeling, but that's actually often just a projection of the way that you've experienced that thing yourself. Um, so we put these goggles on and people are watching this and they begin to describe it, but quite often they're describing their own experiences of being depressed. So that's one way. Another way is that, um, sometimes when people are feeling depressed, they, uh, are not very good at being able to sort of see situations from a different point of view. So quite often they might end up blaming themselves for things. And it's a really good way to be able to show people that you can experience the same situation from different points of view because you can actually program that into the scene that they can actually take up different points of view and, and actually begin to sort of see in a very real way that you couldn't do in real life 
that um, the same sort of thing looks very different from very different angles. So it's about developing insight then for people with depression, that yeah. idea that um, it's the same situation may impact a bunch of people differently. It's very difficult to kind of explain that to someone, but to be able yeah. to communicate that in a visual way is yeah. pretty incredible. It is. And um, one of the things that I've always been fascinated with virtual reality is, is that, it, you know, um, as opposed to when we're, uh, we, we see things written or when we're told something by someone else, when you actually see something, it actually feels very much like you're experiencing it. And so it actually has a whole different resonance from, you know, if your psychologist or someone tells you, you know, people experience things differently from different points of view, to actually experience it is, is a, a much more resonant thing. Yeah. I had only ever heard of virtual reality being used um, to, pr- to treat social anxiety. So um, for people who um, experience anxiety in, you know, public places that they would put the goggles on and they would see you know lots of people around and that would kind of um stimulate uh, simulate a, a similar sort of experience and learn to kind of work through the anxiety of yeah. that um but to think that can it be used for a whole range of other different mental health issues as well increasingly we're beginning to think about different ways you can use it for different things so the phobias are you know a great example um, that you could, if somebody had a social phobia, you could put them into um, a social situation, whatever that might be, whether it's, you know, a, a room full of people or just, a, a, you know, on the street. But the, the really excellent thing is you can vary the situation so that um, if someone had a, you know, a, a, an extreme level of phobia about that, you could start with very few people in that room and get them to practice the skills and to learn to regulate their own sort of um, anxiety in that situation. And then you can add some more people. And mm-hmm. it's very hard to recreate that kind of situation in real life. Yes, definitely. Um, uh, kind of going off on a bit of a tangent, but I've done some exposure therapy yeah. with people and with social anxiety. And, you know, we've gone outside and there's been no one about. And we're like, yeah. oh, well, there's, there's no one, you know, about today. And then other times there'll be lots and lots of people. So it's with virtual reality, you can control all of the things that we can't control in the real world. Yeah. And as a therapist, that's a really nice thing to be able to do because exactly, if you go outside, you can't predict how many people are going to be there. I I remember one time trying to do exactly the same thing with somebody. We went up to the food court of a local shopping center, which was usually empty. I thought this would be a good place to kind of start. Um, But it wasn't empty. It was really full and it was quite a confronting thing. We had to, you know, because that person at that time wasn't ready to be in that place yeah. Yeah. so that the ability to just start with this controlled environment and adjust it as the person adjusts that's it's gold mm. yeah and you touched on earlier that there are a whole range of different mental illnesses that you're willing to try with the virtual reality um and we understand that you're interested in using it for psychosis how does it work for that kind of mental illness um, so one of the things that and this is there's been a lot of work done in the uk particularly about this um so one of the the sort of symptoms that's, I guess, really prevalent for a lot of people with psychosis is is feeling paranoid, feeling that people in the environment are going to uh, have some um, bad intentions towards you. And a little bit like we just talked about, you can actually start to put people into the situations that they find provokes that paranoia, but put them in there um, in a very unthreatening way. So, so one of the kind of classic things they did about um, 10 or 12 years ago was they created this environment that looked like a, a train carriage from the London Underground, because they're in the UK, so it was appropriate for there. Um, but they could 
they could put in different amounts of people. They could put in people from different ethnicities as well because sometimes people's um, paranoia is about particular groups of people. And they could then, before they put them into those situations in the virtual reality, they could teach them um, skills and ways to sort of question some of the thoughts that go on behind the paranoia. Um, and then they put them into that situation. They can actually practice doing that and look at how they feel in relation to that. And then the idea, of course, is that then when you go and get onto a real train carriage, you're able to use those skills because you've practiced them um, in a really helpful way. So is that the idea? It's meant to kind of recreate scenarios so that individuals can practice those skills. So then in the real world, they're able to kind of apply them. So it's not meant to be kind of replicating um, the same experience. Because in my mind, I think well, you could argue and say, oh, well, it's not real. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, of course, it isn't real. But one of the things that's kind of fascinating about virtual reality is how real it feels. Um, the Have very, you gone in it yourself? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking the very first time I ever used it, someone was demonstrating it to me, and it was um, they had filmed from the bottom of a helicopter flying over, like, Finland or somewhere, or some country anyway, Um and you put these things on and you actually feel like you're hanging off the bottom of this helicopter and it's it's freaky but you know and it's that whole thing that as you turn your head around you know the the different parts of the underneath of the helicopter move around in your foreground but the scenery in the background also moves around and it really feels like you're there and and I you know a lot of the sort of stuff that's been done therapeutically has been done in computer created environments because um, it's cheaper to make those than to actually go and film real things. And I was a little sceptical that that would feel completely real or immersive. Um, but it actually does. You actually, um, as you go into these environments, you start to notice the people in the same way you would if you went into an unfamiliar place uh, in real life. And it doesn't take much to forget that you're there. And some of the most advanced stuff um, has you on this little platform where you can actually walk so you begin to get all of that kind of um, feedback from your body that tells you that you're in a real place as well. Um, and then the only part that they haven't completely got in the stuff I've used is um, if you lift your hand up, um, you can't see it because there's actually no hand in the goggle. <laughs> and that feels really weird. <laughs> you put your hand up, you've got no hand. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so we did lightly touch on phobias before. Um, so exposure therapy, how could it work for that? Um, I've seen some really interesting things where people uh, have started with um, looking at spider phobias and uh, yeah, it's the sort of thing that people go, oh, why would you want to get rid of that phobia? It's kind of helpful. Um, but some people do. And the, um, and again, it's about being able to have a, a much greater degree of control over the exposure. Mm-hmm. So if, you, if you're going to like a really traditional um, exposure hierarchy for spiders, ultimately you eventually need a spider in the room um and at that point that's a you know a big step whereas with this you could actually start with it being you know quite far off and closer and then the 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 big step of going from that virtual spider to ultimately a real spider it can be made to be a much smaller one so that the person's got a lot more little steps in that hierarchy before they Mm. they need to um make that that last leap Mm. the other phobia of course is um public speaking and again you can start with having uh, an audience that's very small in that environment, 
Um, you can program different kinds of feedback from the audience. So, you know, sometimes when you're speaking to an audience, you know, you just get nothing. There's just this sort of flat and that, that's kind of hard as much as people are looking at you too much. So you can, you can manipulate all of those elements and really help people to um, make, make those steps. Mm. It, it sounds incredible. The fact that we've come this far with, with technology, it sounds very complicated though. It, how, how available is this to, um, you know, the general public? Is this a very, um, select amount of people that can have access to this or how you know how available is it look at the moment it's still very much a research kind of thing because um up until a few years ago the the technology didn't really exist to do that and even if you did want to buy it it was massively expensive Mm. um and so even if you could get it there would be no way to actually develop it in a way that people could regularly get access to it now the technology has become better and the um, the hardware is becoming quite cheap. Like you can buy, um, we can buy a cardboard goggle thing for, for $10. Um, you can get like a really high quality thing for about a hundred dollars and you can spend more money than that. But so it's becoming cheap. Um, but in terms of getting access to therapy, it's still very much in a research beginning phase. So Um, it's still in its early days. Yeah. 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 It's probably got a lot of training to do in, um, making people, be able to use it as well yeah, yeah yeah and for us to understand how we best use it to yeah help people but are there any limit to the types of scenarios that can be simulated um the only kind of real limitation is is the resources you have because everything either has to be filmed mm. or it has to be programmed and um that's still the most expensive part of the process but once you've created it, you can use it millions of times so that yeah. the actual usage cost is little. Um, but in terms of if you can imagine it, and you can create that environment. So, Owen, your area of interest lies specifically in young people's mental health. Do you think that growing up with video games and the internet makes virtual, virtual reality a treatment option best suited to young people? I think um, as, as we develop it, we'll probably find that young people feel more at home with it because it's not dissimilar to, you know, having grown up in a, in a much more technology enabled world. Um, but there's been really interesting uses of virtual reality, um, through the lifespan. So I know there's studies looking at, um, old people who've got, uh, Alzheimer's disease and helping them, um, in terms of, uh, preserving their memory to, to the degree that you can. Um, it's also been used with, um, like war veterans who've, who are experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and, of course, they could be any age through their life as well. So while I think young people might be the, the people who go to it most easily, um, I think it's got application across the, across the lifespan. I do, I do sometimes think, though, because not so much yet, but soon, I suspect there'll be a lot of people who've grown up with it, that kind of... Um, the level of quality we might need in those environments to make that immersion feel real might be more because people grow up kind of knowing that it's, you know, not really. So this is one of the things we've got to explore. Mm. And you think about video games, how they've advanced in the last 10 years in comparison. I remember when I was like playing as a kid, like the like the, um, the visual kind of qualities that you get from a lot of the games now, like call of duty and stuff like that. It's incredible um, what they can kind of represent, you know, through a computer, essentially. Well, you think about the movies, um, which are 
uh, animated, but the the animations look Real. natural. Yeah. yeah. You know? um, in fact, apparently they have to make them look unnatural. Otherwise, we have this kind of weird response to them. It's it's kind we of can't it's tell kind the of difference. weird. Yeah. yeah. So along that, are there any potential side effects to virtual reality based treatment? Um, one of the one of the most obvious ones is that. Um, some people experience this thing that's a little bit like seasickness being inside there because I guess everything that you're seeing is out of whack with, you know, the rest of your motion sensors in your, in your body, particularly in your ears. Um, in terms of other side effects, I think we're not, we haven't done enough research to, to know yet. Um, but I think it's important that we look for those things as we go along, because I think, um, particularly in, in the area of my background around sort of psychosocial treatments and stuff, there's, there's kind of this idea that things are inherently good and, and that there's nothing benign about, about them at all. Um, but we know that there are some kinds of therapy which do have some kind of side effects for some people and we need to be aware of that as we develop these things. Mm. So is there a danger then that virtual reality-based treatments could deprive people of interpersonal and social elements of therapy? Look, I, I would hope not, um, because they're they're always going to require some therapist to teach people the skills, or some some something, or someone to teach people the skills to to mm. work well within those environments. I do think it's an issue that we need to be mindful of, um, broadly speaking, across all technological therapy stuff. So there's you know there's an increasing amount of online therapy now, and um, this is probably a bit of a diversion, but I think you know one of the things I think about in relation to that is when you do like your grocery shopping online, that's very convenient and it arrives at your house and it's, it's great. But what you miss out on is all the social interaction you potentially have when you go to the shops and do it yourself mm. and you bump into people from where you live and you kind of know. So sometimes going to the shops isn't just about shopping. It's actually about the social contact we have. Um, and I think it's important that as we develop these kind of other ways of providing therapy to people that we don't lose the bits that's, important about the human connection that we have in these things i don't think we ever will like yeah. in just as you're saying yeah. that i'm i think of my dad and my dad refuses to go to the self-serve checkout uh-huh. he hates them yeah. he's like no i want to talk to the person yeah. like i want to talk to the checkout chick so i think that we as humans we crave that you know connectedness you know face to face with with other people so i don't think we'll ever truly lose that yeah and look i i think it's an important part of therapeutic relationships as well that we actually have you know um a human that we're that we're interacting with yeah so as the technology for virtual reality becomes more affordable could it provide a viable alternative for people who can't access the in-person therapy look we would hope so um one of the things that i guess is in our minds particularly so a lot of this has been developed in the UK like I said um, around some of these illnesses but for us obviously in this country there's a geographic challenge that they don't have in the UK Um, there are people who live far away from where help is easily accessible and and one of the things that we're really keen to explore as this develops is could you potentially send somebody um, the headset for the the thing um, and then have a, a therapist, you know, hundreds or thousands of kilometres away, but who's actually in real time working with that person 
who's exploring those environments to do whatever, whether it's around social phobias or, or psychosis or whatever it might be. Um, you know, can you actually overcome that, that problem of distance and access, which would be fantastic if you could do that. Yeah, because even nowadays they have like doctors via Skype and everything, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I've heard about, you know, radiologists um, who, you know, license themselves to work in a few different countries and then just work in Bali, basically, because they enjoy the lifestyle there. <laughs> but everything else can be done over the internet. So Yeah. So do you think it's the future of mental health treatment then? I think it's part of the future. Yeah. I, think, um, I think, as we were saying earlier, that uh, there, there's always going to be um, a need for the sort of human contact. Um, and I think... Uh, for some people with their mental health experiences at some points during those experience, experiences where things might get quite acute or, or things, there's always going to be a need for that kind of um, more supportive in-person system. Yeah. Oh, and can I just ask, what does your research um, with Origin currently involve? So what are you working on at the moment or researching at the moment? Uh, in this space or more broadly? <laughs> Um, no, in this space. Yep, in yeah, in this space. Um, so at the moment, we're, we're really at the very start of, of things. So we've developed um, a few little scenes that, that we're just kind of road, road testing with people at the moment. And really they are about that thing of can you use it to help people better describe their own experiences um, of being depressed. Um, the next thing that we would want to do beyond that is to look to get some more funding um, to to research uh, the use of this in a, in a more um, intervention kind of way, um, and uh, yeah, as any as any researcher will tell you, that's the crucial bit. If you can get the funding, you can do all sorts of things. But getting funding in Australia is really <laughs> that's really the difficult. Part. Yeah. yeah. So um, it seems as though it's mainly your focus at the moment is helping individuals with depression. Yeah. Um, it, understand their own experiences and be able to articulate that that's right to see if we can use it as a as a tool basically to um help the person understand their own experiences and help their therapist to have a better appreciation of what that particular illness is like for that particular person um oh so helping not only the individual with the mental health mm. issue but to educate the psychologists and the yeah. psychiatrists and the, all the mental health professionals. That's right. Everyone who works with them, who would work with them through this so that you could have a better understanding of, you know, because the word depression means all kinds of things, but what does it actually mean for this person who's sitting in front of you right now? Mm. Mm. That's so interesting because it's really hard to put into words each individual person's experiences, but to give them an outlet to show their own experiences so yeah. interesting and so much of the future now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but can we even imagine what such treatments might look like in 10 or 20 years' time? I'm sure it's going to rapidly change. Oh, look, I think I think that would be... Um, it would be dangerous to start predicting that far into the future. I mean, if you had have mentioned virtual reality two years ago, I would have said, oh, well, there's you know, a few kind of really little research things going on in the UK, but it's massively expensive and I can't see how it would happen. And, of course within two years things have become so much cheaper and so much more accessible that you go well of course why aren't we using this mm. so yeah 20 years from now who knows <laughs> yeah. um for anyone who's kind of listening and thinking oh i really want to get you know involved i want to know more about virtual reality um or you know virtual reality based treatment um what are their current options at the moment 
Uh, in terms of just informing themselves, um, I'd say that the, the internet has got lots of stuff about various different things that are, are going on. In terms of actually accessing treatment, um, like I said, it's it's very preliminary research trials around the place so that you might, again, if you Google stuff, um, you may be able to find out something that's uh, applicable to you and, and, and that you could access. Um, but we're a while away from this being something that people can easily access in an, in an everyday kind of way. What about participating in like research trials? Would that, is that possible? Um, I look at, it would definitely be possible. And I, I would encourage people if they find a trial that would, they'd be appropriate for to, to go and participate in it. Um, you know, I think one of the things in mental health research is that we, um, we don't invite people into it enough, and I think one of the consequences of that, I think, is that people have got um, an, a not accurate idea of what that actually involves. But it, it's like every other area of medical research. We're just trying to find the best ways to help people um, deal with the things that they've got to deal with. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, well, that's all we've got time for. Thank you so much, Owen, for coming on the show. Um, we've been speaking with Owen about uh, the role of technology, uh, specifically virtual reality, in the treatment of mental ill health. Um, you can listen to podcasts of our show at brainwaves.org.au as well as the 3CR website. Um, just a note for all of our listeners, starting from next week um, is the Brainwaves Summer Program where we will be revisiting some of our favourite shows over the last year for your listening pleasure. Uh, we will be back live in the studio on January 18th, 2017. Uh, from all of us here at Brainwaves, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thanks so much, Owen, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.